You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 105. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week, we start by discussing the hot topic that the so-called Robinhood traders are responsible for a V-shaped rally since COVID-19. In our Ask Us Anything segment, we take a listener question on how to get an advantage in investing in small caps. And I provide an example of how to use this advantage, how we use this advantage to recommend profitable small cap Photon control, symbol PHO on the TSX, to clients, which has nearly doubled in the past two months alone. Our dog of the week is embattled Cineplex Inc., CGX on the TSX, Canada's largest movie theater chain. The stock fell 17% today after the global movie theater giant Cineworld announced it would not be following through with its 2.8%. billion acquisition of Cineplex, initially announced in December of last year. Finally, our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we answer a listener question on Microcap Thermal Energy International Inc., symbol TMG on the TSX Venture, which is engaged in the development, engineering, and supply of pollution control, heat recovery systems, and condensate return solutions, which can help their customers increase facility efficiency and reduce energy consumption. So let's get into the show today. I'd like to welcome my co-hosts, Brennan and Aaron. How are you guys doing? Well, just getting ready for the for the webinar t- or tomorrow, not tonight, tomorrow. Um, always, every time we do this, of course, we want to take a look at the content and just uh, update it on a weekly basis. But yeah, so keeping busy and watching the yeah. uh, very insane market reactions that we're seeing right now and some of the explanations for them which is a little uh little bit of a it's 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 somewhat entertaining somewhat concerning but definitely definitely an interesting time to be in the markets yeah without a doubt and and those seminars just briefly that we have coming up here uh june 16th we already sold out june 2nd and june 9th but june 16th 7 p.m eastern time for i believe pacific uh it's 91 percent sold out i think we looked at last new topics new stocks but at its core live webinar will show you how to take action during a crisis and start building a simple 15 to 25 stock portfolio uh, now if you have been procrastinating and not if you've not attended one this will be your last chance for some time we do not plan on doing any crisis. Actually, we probably hope to not be doing any crisis investing seminars for the foreseeable future. You know, uh, we may, but uh, we'll keep doing our regular seminars. But if you want to get involved with one of these, this is your last chance. So let's look at uh, quickly here. Uh, 
we're going to look at that idea of Robin Hood traders being responsible for this V-shaped rally since COVID-19. Now, first off, you may be asking, uh, what is Robin Hood? Uh, essentially, it is a free trading app that lets investors trade stocks, options, ETFs, and cryptocurrencies without paying commissions or brokerage fees, which sounds great. Now, there's been a flood of new retail investors into brokers like Robinhood. Charles Schwab has one, TD Ameritrade as well. Alongside the market's major rebound from the depths of its lows in March, and this has developed that popular narrative that you're seeing now that uh, it's retail investors driving the rally. It's that narrative that big investors such as Buffett uh, are the ones they're not buying this market, but uh, retail investors are, uh, you know, buying into this market and driving the market higher now. Robinhood is a Silicon Valley-based startup, and it saw a historic 3 million new accounts uh, opened in the first quarter, which, um, while stocks at the same time experienced their fastest recovery from you know what we'd call a bear market on record. Uh, it's zero commissions and fractional trading and a lack of maybe sports and a lack of you know gaming and gambling has driven some young investors into the market. That is the narrative that's out there right now. Now, I would say that just because two things are happening at the same time doesn't mean that one causes the other. Uh, but we can look into what, whether or not we think it is a, a you know part of the significant part of uh, driving the market higher. Now, Barclays did an analysis on this. Uh, they used RobinTrack, which tracks Robinhood's account activity, but it's not affiliated with Robinhood itself. Um, now. It found that while it's true that many of the high return stocks that had substantial increases in retail ownership, the high return stocks that Robinhood is uh, on Robinhood, but the low return stocks also have had a big increase. So that doesn't seem to correlate towards it just being, you know, Robinhood platform traders driving the market higher because there's some low return stocks that have also had big increases in retail ownerships through this platform so i don't know if you guys have any comments on that well I'll, I'll yeah I, i'll let you go ahead first uh yeah Brandon. well i was just gonna couple. say i'll agree like a like even a lot of my younger friends here like i'm 25 uh, a lot of my you know younger friends 25 years old have been asking me um is it time, Brennan, to get into the market? And they've actually been creating trading account accounts. Now, not on Robinhood, but you know, seeing the market pull back, you know, the the initial forty percent that it did, uh, they were intrigued and they were like, you know, this might be the time to start my investing journey. Um, so, you know, I've told them kind of our strategy where if you are going to buy something, layer into a position, you know, keep some capital uh, for the future right now. But yes, there's there's a lot of new traders that are going into the market. So I, I do see, you know, a little bit of the th the, the theory there. Um, but yeah, you can go on now, now Aaron. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, th this is really the age of narrative reporting, right? Like everybody likes a, a cool story and the idea of this, this startup from Silicon ba Valley that caters to retail investors and smaller investors is now moving the market um, and has a, a heads up or, or some type of advantage over institutional investors is it, it makes a nice story it makes a nice catchy headline but it's it's really kind of a kind of a stupid idea that um, that Robin Hood would be responsible even to a small degree um, for the V-shaped recovery that we've seen 
Robin Hood itself is is generally designed to cater to smaller investors. Um, they have 10 million accounts is what they've is what they've reported. Now they don't report asset under management, but assets under management, but considering the fact that they are marketed to smaller investors, investors with a lot of not a lot of money, I believe that there's no minimum trade sizes. I'm not sure I'd have to check into that. The estimates put uh, their assets under management at about $20 billion. So for a startup, that's very impressive that they've gotten up there, absolutely. But the US market is almost a $40 trillion market, right? So the idea that that some trading from retail investors from, you know, uh, uh, an app that manages $20 billion is somehow responsible for a major recovery of a $38 trillion market is is quite absurd. You know, one idea that I've heard floated around is that um, some people might be going to uh, this Robinhood tracker to see what people on Robinhood are doing and using that as some type of a, a leading indicator. Um, so that gets, you know, a little more buying uh, into those stocks, then you're actually just getting directly from from Robinhood. But you still you're you're still talking about you know relatively small numbers compared to the overall size of the market and what you would need to um, to to drive to drive that type of a recovery. So it's 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 really it's it's really quite a quite an absurd proposition. But it it, it makes for a catchy headline, absolutely. Yeah, and I like it, how you break it down just to the numbers there, because that's what we come back well, the, the, to. Um, we're talking like yeah. like point zero five of a percent, yeah, of the market, right? I mean, no, that's, I agree. That's not even a rounding error, right? So it's, it's for our for our audience. I think that the the best way to break this down and have a real talking point on this is when we you know out when we look at the real numbers, it doesn't. I mean, Driving the market from that platform doesn't seem to make sense, but I would break it down to discussing investing versus trading and the merits of day trading because, you know, this in, in theory, investors can use Robinhood to invest too as well for the long term, but it is designed to trade. So for the average investor, I mean, it is our opinion that trading is not a good idea. In fact, it can be seriously harmful to your portfolio. And let's look at some numbers and some studies that actually have looked at the merits of day trading. And I'm going to reference, there's many studies, many empirical studies that have been done. Uh, but there was one done and published in July of 2019. So just over a year or under a year ago. Uh, it's called Day Trading for a Living. Um, and it was done by um, a a company, or sorry, done by the University of San Paulo of Economics in Brazil. Now, there's an abstract from this. I'll just read the abstract quickly. It sh it says here that we show that it is virtually impossible for individuals to day trade for a living, contrary to what courses of many course providers claim. And there's many courses that you can see out there. Many touting this all over social media. Uh, we observe from this study that all individuals who began to day trade between 2013 and 2015 in the Brazilian equity futures market, this is the third largest in terms of volume in the world, so it's, it's liquid. We found that 97% of all individuals who persisted for more than 300 days lost money. Only 1.1% earned more than the Brazilian minimum wage and only 0.5% earned more money than the initial salary of a bank teller, all with great risk. So like we're saying, there are so many ads out there these days. Millennial, millennials are all over social media showing 
that uh, trading is a, a lifestyle and, 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 you know, with big cars and great vacations that they're buying out of these trading profits. Early retirement. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, of course. All of these things that you love to see, but is it realistic? I, we, we would say no. I mean, and I would say the captain of this ship may be Barstool Sports founder Dave Portney. Now, he cashed in on his platform selling a stake in the business, uh, his business, Barstool Sports, to Penn National Gaming, which was valued then at $450 million. I think it's gone up from there. Look, this is a great entrepreneurial win for him. But he has taken his $1.5 million followers into the market with videos touting hefty gains and unrivaled bullishness. Look, I have nothing against Dave himself, but this in his Davey day trading global videos, he frequently states that, you know, a very optimistic mantra that stocks essentially only go up. Now, we are just looking at the evidence, which any, you know, he's promoting day trading, but we look at the evidence here, which shows that day trading is not a way to make money long term. It can sound very tempting, but we'd say do not buy into it. Look at the studies. Real wealth is created through investing, full stop not magic button trading programs. And the more we see these out there, the more it makes us cringe because we can see people over the long term and even the short term losing considerable money in these programs where you can look at the studies. I mean, that study is just clear as day that showed 97% lost money. You know, it's not a 50-50 or a roll of the dice or a flip of the coin type thing. 97% in that study lost money. So we couldn't stress that more that for our clients, for people who are looking to invest in the stock market, look as an investor, a share, an ownership position in that business, not as a day trader trading a symbol. And I'll just add, I'll just add one more comment, just if somebody's trying to get an explanation for what's driving this V-shaped recovery, just Take a look at where interest rates are compared to where they were at the start of the year, bond yields in Canada, in the U.S. Um, historically low interest rates. And I know we've been saying that for years, but these are truly historically low. The 10-year government bond in, in Canada right now is is yielding uh, 0.5%, so not even covering your inflation. Um, massive monetary stimulus, massive um, economic stimulus, governments in Canada and the US propping up businesses, propping up individuals, sending out checks, right? So a lot of money being flooded into the system, right? And uh, when this happens, when you have, when you're in an era of really aggressive monetary stimulus and economic stimulus, QE, you name it, Typically what that does is it inflates the price of financial assets, not necessarily because those financial assets are worth more, but because the cash that they are denominated in is worth less. That's that's a better explanation. And I'm not saying that's 100% of the story as to why. I mean, there's a lot of different things. There's a lot of moving parts to the market. So that is not the whole story, but it's a far better explanation than Robin Hood. You think it's a better accent explanation than just a trading app? You think? think? (laughs) Possibly. Possibly that made for a very, you know, quick headline. Yeah. And that's what we would, we'd fall on that side for sure. But it's a great topic to discuss because we see it out there right now. And, uh, you know, and if we can get a takeaway from it uh, that, you know, beware of trading programs, just generally speaking. Not that the app is inherently evil itself, but people who are trying to teach you courses on trading, when you look at empirical studies showing you 
that you just lose money. Even the pros, like we know many pros in the industry who have a really difficult time making any money trading. So, you know, I hope we can pass that on. So, Brennan, anything you had to add on that? Well, I, I just, I just did, thought right? it was great yeah. that you brought up Davy Day Trader because it just shows like, like Barstool Sports is huge in you know pop culture right now and just on social yeah, media, and so many people are following him. And uh, you know, just on your point of just how um, you know he's bringing people into the market, like on one of his days, he did end up making taking a position in Boeing, and I, I don't know how big the position was, but you know, in one day he was down four hundred k. So I mean, it's just. You know, and he was on his live stream when he was down the 400k, and he did. He looked white as a ghost. You know, it wasn't a good day for him. So again, you know, that's stay and, away. And from he's trading. in a position to stomach that loss. Yes, yes. Most people in North America are not in a position, or even a percentage of that loss, right? So certainly. Yeah. So definitely, uh, you know, there's really a distinction between trading and investing. I don't think people always get that, and we really try to stress that. You know, you know, we're not buying a symbol; we're buying a business and we're buying it for the long term and we're try, you know we want to achieve those excellent gains over the long term uh, trying to achieve them with high risk trading styles in the near term can get you in trouble and that's all we're trying to say here today so let's move to our ask us anything segment our question comes from Trevor he asks us how to get how do you get an advantage or how could i get an advantage in investing in small caps it is one of our areas of specialties so this is a, it's kind of a broad question. There's many directions that I could point you in. Uh, but one of the reasons why we do spend countless hours researching profitable small cap stocks is it's one area where we can find informational inefficiencies, which is what we can use to our advantage. Because there's a lack of coverage, often there are no analysts covering a stock or just a couple analysts covering a small cap versus, say, 20 to even 100 or more covering a large stock, a well-known name at any given time. So by getting to know the business, uh, you can truly have a profitable advantage. We would say that you know one key would be to study the outlook. It's one little snip of, snippet of information that you can get from uh, the company's latest quarterly press release or their quarterly financial statements. Look for the business guidance or the outlook for the next quarter or the coming year. Now, not all companies will provide this info, but many will. In the case of a small cap stock, if you're only one of a few people or analysts watching this stock, and you can understand it, it can give you an edge and it can be a very profitable edge in some cases. I'll give you an example. I love to give real world examples. Photon Control, symbol PHO on the TSX, is a profitable small cap that we cover. On March 18th of this year, the company reported its Q1 outlook. And I will quote it here. As of today, management stated, we have recorded 14 million in revenues for Q1 2020, and we currently expect a million of additional shipments by quarter's end, so a minimum of 15 million in revenue for that quarter upcoming. At this revenue level, we would expect Q1 EBITDA margin to be 30% of revenue. So if we look at last year's first quarter, if you dig those up, look at them on CDAR of 8 million, and we saw the company... This now we see the company expecting 87% growth at a minimum in terms of revenue and a massive jump up uh, from an EBITDA loss at this time, that time last year in the Q1 of last year of 1.5 million to a gain of at least 5 million, likely higher. 
with the stock then, it was trading at you know, 80 cents, mid 80s range. It appeared like an opportunity. Now we got all of this, the opportunity there, from just looking at the company's outlook. So it's a great place to start if you wanna gain an advantage in small cap investing. Now incidentally, Photon Control has now gained over 88% in the past two months for our clients since we issued that buy report. So looking at the outlook, understanding the business, that it's not just a symbol, can be very profitable for you. So Trevor, that's one area that I'd point you in. Take a look at that outlook. I think it's a good example too of sitting in the weeds and monitoring a stock going along. Um, you know, just having you know tons of stocks on your watch list and uh, you know constantly quarter after quarter just tracking where the, where they're going. And uh, I think that was a great example of uh, you know you uncovering a, a company with some some good prospects and uh, some good guidance, Ryan. Yeah, and the risk to reward there is definitely in your favor. It's a company we've monitored for six years, so you know the business quite well. Mm -hmm. And then when you see guidance going forward and nobody's really watching it of 87% revenue growth and you know, you're going to have EBITDA go from negative and profitability go from negative to a significant gain or profit in the quarter, you know, it is a good time to, uh, when it's trading at, you know, then it was trading at like two, three year lows. You know, it makes for a educated, good investment at that point. And of course, the golden rule, I will say, when investing in small caps is always to focus on that profitability, regardless of what the outlook or how positive management is. Um, that's what Keystone's always done. And when people think of small caps, unfortunately, they often think of highly speculative companies uh, in Canada. The vast majority of them don't even generate any revenue, never mind profit. But we figure, we've estimated that 98% of small cap companies in Canada don't even pass our, our first, our, our, our minimum criteria um, for research. So they don't even get into the, into the realm where we would actually start to do real research on them. So it's focusing on that quality, but you, you combine the, the quality, the management team, the profitability, the market with, you know, a small unknown company that, that institutions in the rest of the market maybe haven't discovered yet um, or don't know a lot about yet. And that, that can be a very powerful combination as, as we've shown agreed, many agreed, times yeah. in the small cap research. Yeah, of course. Agreed. And, and, you know, with photon control, because we know the business, like it is not only, you know, was there a return to profitability, but you're coming off like a fortress type balance sheet with almost <clears throat> at that time, 30 plus million in cash, no debt, 40% of its market cap, you know, in cash. So your downside was limited and your upside was significant uh, when they were going to release that quarter. And yet you have to pay attention to the business or, you know, we can do that for you. That's what we specialize in. So, so there's uh, an example of, you know, if you want to gain an advantage, there's something you can look at. So finally, I think we're going to look at our your stock or, or Aaron's going to do our dog. Sorry, right, Aaron? Yes. Yes. I have a I, dog. I don't know what order we're doing it today is, but we're weekly dog is Cineplex. I'm going to let Aaron take that. From our Stars and Dog segment, it's time for this week's Dog. Sure, let's let's go on this one. So Cineplex, the symbol is CGX on the TSX exchange, trading right now for about $11.50 to $720 million market cap company. 
Cineplex is the largest movie theater chain in Canada. It has a network of 165 theaters and almost 1,700 screens across the country. It also owns some other media assets as well, but theaters are, are the primary business. 2020 has been a very difficult year for Cineplex. Being in the movie theater business, they've essentially, they've effectively been shut down during the pandemic. All of the theaters right now remain closed as of today, and there is no specific plan on when those theaters are going to start to reopen. Today, the stock price fell 17% after global movie theater chain Cineworld announced that it would not be following through with its $2.8 billion acquisition of Cineplex that it initially announced in December of last year. So Cineworld, major international theater chain, was going to buy Cineplex uh, for $2.8 billion. The, the deal was announced in December at a price of $34 per share, which was, I believe, about a 40% premium to Cineplex's share price. Um, but Cineplex's share price shortly after that in March fell 65% after the COVID-19 shutdown began and all movie theaters across Canada closed. Cineworld effectively made a deal to buy shares at $34, shares that now trade at less than $12. So for me, it seems obvious that they would want out of this deal. Cineworld is claiming that the reason they want out of the deal is because Cineplex breached certain covenants of the arrangements of the arrangement, which Cineplex says is not true, and they're they're planning on suing Cineworld. Seems pretty obvious to me why they would want out of the deal. I, I don't know all of the particulars or what Cineworld is is alleging here, but um, obviously the landscape for the movie theater business has completely changed since December. Would Cineplex be a company that Keystone would consider recommending right now? The answer to this is no. And it's unfortunate because if you go several years back, Cineplex was one of the stars of the Canadian market, uh, a highly touted company, very profitable, well-known, a uh, lot of people loved it, but it, it's been struggling more recently. Uh, financially, the company wasn't doing great even before the pandemic. In 2019, revenue was up 3.6%, but adjusted free cash flow per share declined 35% for the year. Cineplex has delayed its Q1 2020 filing, but really we don't need to see the financial statements to know that, the, that they're not making any money right now because they are effectively shut down. Also, if you include the lease obligations that the company has, the balance sheet is highly levered with nearly $2 billion in debt. So that would include long-term debt and lease obligations. Even in the best of times, the movie theater industry isn't really a space that we love just because it was so highly dependent on the lineup of blockbuster videos that are released in any particular quarter or year. But a major long-term challenge that the industry has been facing um, is how, how is it going to remain competitive as the number of entertainment options for consumers continue to explode? And there's been a notable trend of declining movie theater attendance in recent years same theater attendance was down 5% in 2019, 2% in 2018, and obviously uh, it will be much worse in 2020. What we see is a company facing significant short-term and long-term operating in challenges and also a company that has a levered balance sheet. This is a dangerous combination, and right now, this is a company that we would absolutely avoid. Yeah, I think it's a good synopsis on the the business. I mean, just anecdotally for myself, um, you know, 
You've seen a couple of films during uh, COVID nineteen, the current shutdown. Um, they've you know come st- films have come straight to straight to your you know set top box right or straight straight to video type thing is what they used to call it. But uh, and they've done reasonably well. And you know you pay a higher price, maybe twenty five to thirty dollars through your cable provider for that video, or you buy it through your iTunes or wherever you can find it. Uh, but I mean, that still pales in comparison to what you, you know, it cost to take my family just to a Cineplex movie, right? So, I mean, that's an attractive option. Like we were talking about this morning, myself and Aaron, there's, you know, many of us have uh, TV setups and sound systems set up and home theaters that, you know, rival like your experience at a movie theater. So, with that competing, uh, and if there is direct to home uh, new releases, you know, I still love going to a movie. I still like getting out there. It's an event for the family. But you know, if, if now you have options, you know, maybe, maybe yeah, you have options. It could be I could do it half the time now exactly. instead of going. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I have a fifty inch flat screen TV in my living room that I bought ten years ago, and when I bought this thing ten years ago, it was the ultimate television. Now fifty inches is a joke. It seems like you're you know a you're t- exactly <laughs> the, the typical person. That's the you? that's the spare TV they have in their bedroom that they don't even use, right? It's true. Um, get just, get it's with just the amazing. times. Exactly, man. exactly. Yeah, like I went to a, a movie. I don't know, probably a few. Well, I mean, it was before COVID, but I just find it interesting how the movie theaters kind of changed a little bit. Like there was a brand new Cineplex that was just opened uh, down the street from me in Saskatoon, and essentially the whole operation streamlined so you can tell that they obviously understand uh movie attendance is going down um you know when you initially walk into the cineplex um the only way to buy a ticket is either through your phone or a machine right there so they're getting over the overhead of paying somebody uh you know a wage at the front um the next part was that you know they didn't even um like like the people behind the counter wouldn't even fill up your drinks or anything they just give you a cup and then you'd go fill it up yourself so you can really tell that they're they're trying to cut costs just because of which way the industry is going so i I just think that's kind of interesting or i was even a little shocked you know um i hadn't been to a movie in years and when i did you know go into the new new movie theater seeing that uh yeah it, it was interesting in my opinion from a business perspective it certainly is, yeah, and it's you know this is there like you go. Aaron millennial the right there hadn't been to a theater in years. Whoa, yes, exactly, Whoa. exactly. That right there, run, run, mm-hmm. sell, hit the sell button right there. Yeah, no. Anyways, we'll, we'll move on to our uh, Thermal Energy International Inc. TMG on the TSX Venture. That is our your stock, our take. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call your stock, our take buy sell or hold sent in by christian he says can you take a look at thermal energy inc they might have a a wind at their back with all the current interest in reducing carbon footprint they are also provide their clients with annual energy savings and a quick roi take a look at them with me if you could or for me if you could brandon yes thank you so thermal energy you did take a look did you not i sure did good to hear 
Yes, so Thermal Energy International Inc., uh, ticker symbol TMG on the TSX Venture Exchange, currently trading at a price of $0.08, and it is a micro cap with a market cap of $12 million. Um, So Thermal Energy International Inc. is primarily engaged in the development, engineering, and supply of pollution control, heat recovery systems, and condensate return solutions, which can essentially help their customers increase facility efficiency and reduce energy consumption. So looking at the company's past share price performance here, the stock has essentially been range trading between $0.05 and $0.17 over the last three years. So it hasn't really been doing too, too much. And it's definitely a higher risk type of play um, just because of the volatility. Now, looking at the company uh, or the company's most recent financial results, this is for Q3 2020, revenue was up 87% to $5.8 compared to the same quarter last year. EBITDA was 709,000 compared to a loss of 734,000 for the same period last year. And earnings per share came in at not quite a penny, but it was 0.003 cents per share uh, compared to a loss of 3 cents per share for Q3 of 2019. And I just wanted to quickly look at the 12 trailing month uh, figures compared to the same period last year. Revenue was up around 9.5%, while EBITDA and net income were up substantially from a loss in the previous uh, 12 trailing month period. So taking these figures into consideration, it does appear as if the company's financials are progressing in the right direction. Now, our take. I certainly like the industry that Thermal Energy International Inc. operates in, and I agree with Christian that the stock might have the wind at its back due to the interest in reducing emissions. Christian's usually pretty good at uh, asking a your stock or take question on a company in an interesting industry, so I'll give him props for that. Now, financially, the company has been progressing into profitability, and on a valuation basis, they're trading at a relatively low multiple, coming in with a price-to-earnings multiple of around seven times. Uh, they also have a decent balance sheet with a net cash position of 500000 but it is worth noting that Thermal Energy has a debt-to-equity ratio of 0.66, so they're certainly using uh, leverage to grow the business. Something I believe that you should remain cautious of if you are looking to invest in Thermal Energy, Inc. is the company's large increase in the number of shares outstanding, uh, which ballooned to 160 million shares this past quarter from only 32 million shares in the same period last year. This is definitely a concern as this might indicate the company will further dilute in the future, and it makes the company's earnings per share in the last quarter relatively insignificant, coming in at, like I said, only 0.003 cents per share. If we were to dig deeper into the company, the next piece of analysis that we would conduct is to essentially assess uh, whether this increased share count was due to any recent acquisitions or what the company planned to do with the cash raised from issuing the shares. Now, to conclude, we like the industry, the trajectory of the company's financials, and it's a decent valuation. But because of the increase in share count and not very meaningful earnings on a per share basis, we would refrain from telling anyone to invest in the company. Yeah, I think it's a good summary. Um, you know, you, it is an interesting company. Thanks for sending that in. Uh, it's Christian, right? Yeah, thanks for sending that in. Now, I mean, you see in the last quarter, you know, reasonable revenue, good revenue growth and good revenue growth for the nine months period. One thing, I this is a contract-driven business is the way I understand it. And one thing I did note that the order backlog uh, as at February 29th this year, of this year was 3.4 million. The same time as at last year, February 28th, 20, 2019, was 10.6 million. So 
This time last year, 10.6 million. Right now, 3.4 million. That doesn't bode well for the financials over the next three to six months to year uh, in terms of growth as their backlog has been uh, cut by, you know, 60, 70%. So, you know, that would be something that we'd note. We'd track that backlog and see if we could see a better or higher backlog going forward. Right now, it's a lower backlog year over year. That may suggest revenues may trend lower in the near term. And a major drop in the backlog, which is very, yeah. I mean, if we were going to pursue this company, looking at the financials right now, this is something that we would follow, we would monitor, maybe look at another quarter, uh, have a quick talk with management. But I mean, $12 million market cap, this is a tiny business. It's not even a small cap. It's not even really a micro cap. I mean, it's more of a, a nano cap. So you really have to be cognizant of the fact that with these small companies, it's sometimes we'll see them, you know, transition into profitability and then just go right back to a net loss. So you have to understand the business. One way is like Ryan said, looking at the backlog, seeing if they if they have good momentum with customer orders. So while it's it's a positive to see great revenue growth and you know a little bit of, of profitability here, it's it's not conclusive yet as to whether or not this company is truly would pass our, our profitability criteria. So I think it's I think it's good that it, you know we almost brought the whole podcast uh, full circle here where you know Photon was the complete opposite of that where we saw you know the backlog increasing and, and we saw the prospects uh, you know for investment you know were, were better um, but yeah. yeah you know seeing that backlog uh, decrease de- definitely a concern and thanks for bringing that up Ryan I yeah so that. that's that's your outlook that's your look at the outlook in this business and thermal control as opposed to our thermal energy as opposed to uh, photon control or the outlook and the backlog if we looked at the backlog there it had jumped up in that quarter as well so their outlook was positive um, while uh, Thermal doesn't actually put out an outlook, we believe you can just take a look at their backlog numbers and know that in the near term, the outlook, outlook is significantly more negative than it was at this time last year. So that does tie it in well. And uh, we'd again like to encourage you to come to uh, tomorrow's uh, live webinar, June 17th or 16th, sorry, 7 p.m. Eastern. It's 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, it's 91% sold out. Love to see you there talking more about just how to build that simple 15 to 25 stock portfolio. Uh, again, keep your questions into our Ask Us Anything segment or your Your Stock, Our Take segment, and we'll endeavor to answer all your questions. Thank you very much. Stay safe and profitable investing. Profitable investing. Thanks, everyone. 